Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We are in our 10th week as we walk through this book together. And if you are like me and you've been here for every week of our Hebrew session, it would be odd if I wasn't here. But I'm here for most of these weeks. So I've noticed that we've got some recurring themes that are there. And I would imagine that you've noticed that too. At our house, we have four kids and we are in the season now where school is wrapping up. If you're there, raise your hand. Let me know school is wrapping up. You're feeling the end of your school year. Moms and dads, we know that that begins uh, for them really about a month out. If you're a teacher in the room, you know that they begin to wrap up the year in December. But uh, So we're moving towards that. So that means that we've got sports taking place. We're, we're playing baseball every night. Those are great paychecks. I'm so thankful that the Astros are contributing to our family. As well as uh, we are moving towards swim season. And swim is... It's fun, and we, we like it, and our kids, are, they're swimmers. We, we've got all the, we've purchased all the tight shorts. I never wear any, but we, we've got the tight shorts. We buy the trunks, not the speed up, because that's weird. But we've got these things, right, at our house, and I've noticed we've also got the little headgear that they wear that they pull over their head so that they are moving to the water as smoothly as possible. So I dropped them off the other night. We've got lots of swimmers in the room as well. I got my kids swim, other kids swim. We've got swim, swim, swim. We just swim here. I'm amazed it's not a pool in this room right now. And what I have noticed is the, the little people, the new people to swim... So the five-year-olds and the six-year-olds, it, it's their first year to, to do this with the team. So they are excited about everything. They're excited about trying out. They're excited about going into the water. They're excited about getting their gear. They're excited about every part of it. But if you watch them, they just give them a lane. And what they teach the kids to do from week to week is swim back and forth in the lane. And as they swim back and forth in the lane, they teach them ways to make their turns better. They teach them uh, the, the rules of don't touch the, the boundary. Don't touch the, the bottom of the pool. Make sure you're going back and forth so that you are growing in confidence in your stroke and in your power and in what you're doing. It's this consistent back and forth so that confidence grows. When we read through the book of Hebrews, you have the writer treating us like that in a sense. Because we're going through this book and he keeps coming back to this consistent theme that we use that Jesus is better and what we find over and over is that these themes are there where he shows us he's the better high priest don't forget that and then we'll leave and we'll go to another place in the text and then we'll come back to Jesus being the high priest this back and forth back and forth helping the reader and helping his hearer and helping us to know the confidence that we have because of what has God has done for us in Jesus. So with that in mind, we trust that Hebrews chapter 10, the first 18 verses are a reconsideration, a reinforcement of these themes of Jesus as the better high priest, as our access to God, as the things that we've walked through every week here at Grace. 
So when we get to 19 through 25, we see what's taken place and why those things have been said because there's a turn here in the text. And when the text turns, it's not going to leave these things, but it's giving those of us who are followers of Jesus a boldness. A boldness to live in this world in a unique way because we, because of what God has done for us in Christ, are continually, consistently learning to follow what God has given us and to stay in the lane in a sense. Recurring themes. So, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews. Most weeks as we've walked through this, these chapters, we've done a, an overview. And this morning, we're going to zone in on a few verses with the themes in mind that we've been considering and see what they say to us. So verse 19 through 25, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The turn of this text is let us draw near. Well, why? Why can we draw near? Verses 19 through 21 kind of give us a picture of why we can draw near. Because we, unlike the Jewish people of the Old Covenant, have been given permission to draw near. We have access. We have right standing. We have the opportunity to know God in fullness. For us, this is no longer an anticipation. As you look through the Old Testament, you have this system that has been put into place that we've walked through in, in certain aspects each and every Sunday. And as you look at this system, it is all with an anticipation in mind. The anticipation is that God will eventually send a Messiah to deliver us. But for us, as the Jewish people, we will do these things so that we can keep our standing before God in the right way, in a sense. The Old Testament is very much like a trailer. I, I'm a movie person. You may or may not be a movie person. I love movies. I am pro-movies. I think going to the movies is really fun. For whatever reason, I like to spend $180 in three hours. So... The trailer for the uh, as we so the other night we have a situation where uh, there's a major movie coming out that I wanted to go see. I'm not the only person that wanted to go see this movie. The rest of the world has seen this movie. This is a really big deal. This is a spoiler-free zone. I've been told by the directors and producers of this movie that I cannot spoil this movie officially until tomorrow. But no, it's coming. No, it's coming. 
And I, as I prepared to go see this movie, I was thinking, who am I going to go with? I was well prepared to go by myself because I'm not afraid of that. But I'm at a birthday party having a conversation with some of the other dads who are standing over out of the way as the moms do all of the birthday party work. And as we stand there, we begin to converse and consider this movie. So two of us decide that we're going to for sure go. I'm talking to Wes Caceres, who is one of our church members. Wes says he had just finished the Boston Marathon. And I thought, what would be better for me to do for Wes than to make sure he eats popcorn? So we are going to plan to go to see Avengers in game together. And as we're planning to go see this movie, I begin to loop in other people. I call Blaine, another one of our newer members at church. Hey, Blaine, I'm driving home. Can you buy the movies, movie tickets? Because if you don't buy the movie tickets, I'm going to buy the movie tickets while I'm on the Rumble Strip. So can you handle this for us? Yes, I'll handle the movie tickets. He purchases the tickets. We get to the movie theater a little bit early uh, because, you know, our movie theater, it's... It is what it is. Let's just go with that. And when we <laughs> just roll with it. I, I, I did notice where you could pre-purchase seats. And I thought, they brought new seats into our movie theater. No, they're the same stank nasty seats. But you can pick which one you're sitting in. So just remember which one has less gum. So we are going into the theater. I don't like to get to the movie theater at a time and place where you're just walking in as the movie starts. Who's with me? I love the trailers. I love the trailers. I love the movies. I love everything about this. So we're sitting there watching these trailers. And in this scenario, in this situation, as I see these trailers, every movie trailer they show, I convince myself that I would go see it. I will go, and I'm talking to the screen in the way that I want you to talk to me when I preach. I'm talking, come on, come on. And Wes is looking at me like, why are you so weird? We're there. The trailers are awesome. But there's going to come a point where I see the movie and I'm not going to go back to the trailer. There will be a point for me where I have seen the full story and what took place on the front side of that story, though it may be good for other people who have not experienced the movie, but they'll love. Man, did you see the trailer? Yeah, I saw the trailer, but I saw the movie. The movie's so much better than the two and a half minutes that you got. The Jewish people who this writer spends his time with, they are in a sense, still moving back towards the trailer because they don't have an idea of what we have really had provided for us in Christ. Some of them knew him, but they wanted to go back to these old systems. That's what we have noticed this writer set up. People who are satisfied with lesser when there is greater right there for them. And, and that system is unique only in that it is a predecessor for what God will do for us in Jesus. But all of us can trend towards religion because it's easier. But religion is exhausting. With all of its, the, the old covenant for all that it was, 
had all these layers and all these divides and all these blockades and it was not intended to save the people. It was intended to show them how far away from God they actually were. And that all of those blockades and all of those divides and all of those divisions, they, they could be overcome, but it would not be through them. It would be through a conqueror who would conquer in this unique way because this conquering king would also be their great high priest. This conquering king that is Jesus would be the fulfillment of all that God has shown. He would be love. He would be mercy. He would be the lion. He would be the lamb. He is all of these things together. So, what we have in Jesus is unique in that it undoes religion in the sense of this is what I have to do to approach God. What we have to do to approach God is to realize that God has approached us. So you read through this whole system of what they've set up with the tabernacle, which is this huge picture throughout the book of Hebrews that they would go into this holy place. And then there's this holy of holies. And there's an ark of the covenant inside of the holy of holies. And the Jewish people, for what... For their understanding of what God was, it was simply anticipation. I stand on the outside and wonder what's taking place in there. But Jesus has torn that in two. And Jesus has said to those of us who are in him, you don't have to wonder what it's like to have a relationship with God because God has chosen to have a relationship with you. God has shown himself. God has delivered himself. God has shown you what it means to see and know Him. Why settle for trailers? Because they don't do that much. We have that. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, I, I want you to be clear. When we talk about blood, and when, as followers of Christ, we believe that what God has done for us in the shedding of His blood on the cross, the person of Jesus, the God-man, God in the flesh, that He has answered all of the questions that were posed to people in the Old Testament. Because as they would consider moving in direction and taking certain steps towards God, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? They were always having to come back and offer up those sacrifices again. And those sacrifices were meant to show them, as I said a moment ago, how exhausting this whole thing is. But Jesus has offered a satisfying blood that allows us to be right with God from this point forward. We have that by the new and living way that He opened up through the curtain, verse 20. That is through His flesh. This is not an ethereal Jesus who is far from us, that, that is distant, that does not offer up Himself as a sacrifice. Jesus in the flesh. And because of that, we have a great high priest over the house of God. So all of these things that have been said thus far, the blood, the confidence, the, the, the great high priest, these things are not, this is not simply stuff that we want and that we are pointing to as we make daily decisions. These are things that believers have. 
We have a confidence before God that we can believe and that we can trust the God who we love and the God who we know and the God who we worship, that He is for us. You have this. You have this. You have this. But what about when life does not feel like I have those things? What about when you've had sad weeks? What about when jobs don't work out? What about when loved ones get sick? What about when you struggle with sin? We have these things. We have a place in the presence of God that says that we are accepted and loved and cared for. Not based upon our merit, but based on His. But what about when my life is hard? When kids get sick? We have this confidence in Jesus. So let's do this. Let's think through this. What about when I sin? You do sin. I sin. We all sin. When you sin, since we have a confidence, God says, draw near. That's super weird. Because I don't always want to do that. If sin does anything, it shames us. We learned that very early on in Genesis. When we realize that we have a knowledge of what we're doing and that, that whatever that is, that there's an understanding that it's wrong. When we sin, we immediately move and run towards hiding to cover ourselves, to, to not be seen for what we are and the problems that are there. I mean, when we say it out loud that we as Christians, we, we can draw near, that sounds incredibly basic. But, but not many of us do it. A mark of maturity, as one pastor says, for the believer is to run towards God in our sin. Not to run away from Him. When you sin, draw near. How are you choosing to draw near? Because we've got to get practical with that sometimes. For us, drawing near means that we are making decisions that help us to live in the confidence of Jesus better. That help us to remind ourselves that this world is not ultimate because Jesus is. That help us to see that we are loved by God no matter the fact that my circumstances don't always say that. When we struggle with sin, let's draw near. So when you make mistakes, rather than running away from Him, we, we run towards Him. Why? Because Satan is at his happiest. When you and I see our sin and we want to do nothing about it. He is at his happiest, which means that you are at your most miserable. Because you've acknowledged that there's something wrong. And that's not going to leave you alone if you're a believer in Jesus. But you're not choosing to make any amendments for it. 
But God could never love me when I'm doing this. For whatever reason, we read through our Bibles and we see the idea that God loves the world, that He really does love the world. And we, in modernity, have chosen to translate that that as tolerate. The confidence that we have by the blood of Jesus is not one where He simply tolerates your sin. God does not sit in heaven twirling some odd white beard thinking, oh, I can't believe that one did that again. It's not toleration, it's adoration. Somewhere we forgot the simple truth of the hymn that we used to sing all of the time. Jesus loves me, this I know. God loves you. When I'm at my most miserable, I hope that I remember that God loves me. When life is at its most difficult, to remember that God loves us, that I have confidence that He loves me. When I have chosen wickedness, and I have chosen sin, and I have chosen debauchery, or you have chosen those things, those do not negate the fact that God loves you. One theologian says this, the Bible does not read God hated the world so much that he killed his only son. God loved the world so that he gave his only son. His love for you is immense. It is immeasurable. So when you sin, we cling to the Lord. We run to Him. We realize hope was not in our behavior before, so it is certainly not going to be in our behavior on the other side. When you sin, cling to the Lord. What about when we suffer? Does the Bible teach us anything about suffering? It actually says a lot. Verse 23, when you sin, when you suffer, cling to his hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. If you have been with me more than a week, you have heard us talk about the idea that the suffering from this church is what is causing them to waver. They initially come to faith in God through the person of Jesus. They have stepped away from the Jewish traditions. They've moved away from being trailer people to full experience movie people. And when they get there, they realize that life is still hard. They realize that people still die. They realize that that this is not the simplest thing that they've ever done. And I think that lots of us may be there too. One year into your walk with Jesus, you realize, wait a second, this isn't completely fixed. This world is still broken. These people are still messed up. Ten years in, you look around and you realize, oh, wait, this is still a very difficult life that we live. We are reminded when we suffer to cling to the hope that God has given us in Jesus because He's faithful. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's for you to cling to the hope. And one commentator says, cling to the hope of heaven. That though this world is imperfect, the world that God has provided for us is perfect. The the home that God has given us in eternity is real and it is faultless. Reminds me of an airport. Uh, This Thursday, my wife will leave me for four days. So, prepare for internet struggles. 
Also prepare to deliver anything that you need to provide for my children if you don't want them to eat chicken nuggets for four days. So, I'm kidding. Hope leaves all these meals for me. But, so she's going to go to the airport. Travel at the airport is weird. She has gotten the opportunity this weekend to go spend time with her mom and spend time with her sister. And that's going to be incredibly fun for them. And when I booked her flight, I booked a beautiful thing called a nonstop. So she has no layover anywhere, if I am not mistaken. However, if you have ever flown from Houston Hobby, which is the better of the two Houston airports, to anywhere else, you have more than likely had a layover, am I right? And when you get to that layover, there are good things about the layover. There's more than likely going to be a Chipotle where you have to pay extra for guacamole. There are uh, going to be stores for you to shop at. But when you are there, you realize two things. One is this is not where you came from. And this is not where you're going. It's a middle ground. For those of us who placed our faith in Jesus, one of the hopes that God gives us is this. In a world that is very harsh and in a world that is very difficult, this is not where we came from. As a matter of fact, when we come to faith in Jesus, we enter into a place of transition. This is not where you came from. But this is also not where you're going. If this is ultimate, this is a lame interpretation of ultimate. Because the world is broken and people are broken. People are mean. Life can be harsh. Sin, for what it is, can hurt us. People can fail us. This is not where you came from. This isn't where you're going. When we suffer, we cling to the hope of heaven. Look, let me just be as transparent as I can possibly be. This is one of my grandest struggles in life. Because when I think about how angst-filled life is, you miss the simple joys that God provides for you. You can overlook the, the beauty of your family, the, the, the goodness of being able to hug one of your kids. Those are all glimpses of God's better. We can't be robbed of what He's showing us about eternities because we choose to make suffering more than what it is. When you sin, cling to, his, to Jesus. When you suffer, cling to His hope or the hope of heaven that this is not the end. Don't fail to see the joys in this that give us direction towards it. Angst and anxiety are overwhelming. Jared shares a story earlier. That's not the story of simply... The, in, in its... Particulars. That's the story of one hymn writer. That's not the story. That is very similar to stories of multiple hymn writers. Multiple pastors. Multiple believers in Jesus. And if that's what you're walking through, severe anxiety. Don't try to do this alone. When you sin, cling to Jesus. When you suffer... Cling to the hope of heaven. Why? 
Are, are those things existing in isolation for the sake of being there? No, if you look at the text, since we have this confidence in Jesus, when you sin, you cling to Jesus. When you suffer, you cling to His hope. Well, what are those things doing? They're building towards something. Let's not miss what they're taking us to in this life. And that is that when you struggle, cling to His people. It is a very popular idea that we can live in a world as people who are in a relationship with God apart from the church. That is a distorted understanding of God's view of relationship. 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We have confidence. Let's stir each other up. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So for this church at this church that in Hebrews, one of the reasons that some of them were avoiding gathering together was persecution. They were not avoiding gathering together because they stayed up too late watching the rockets last night. But they are still directed by the writer of the book, the inspired Word of God, that they are to gather together with the people of God with two things in mind. That they would consider and that they would stir one another up. This, throughout history, is one of the stamps of the church. That every time you look at the church, the idea of the gathering is part of it. Now that does not, that is not limited to this. This is a big part of it, getting together on Sunday mornings. It's a biblical idea, a scriptural idea for us to sing songs to the Lord together. For us to worship as a people united together. These are scriptural concepts. Stamps are, are, are helpful. If you were to sit... Ten cookies across this stage, and they were the dark chocolate cookies with the little white cream in the middle. Right? What we would typically say if I'm telling you we're putting those cookies across the stage, you would call them what? Oreos. Those are heavenly cookies. You can eat a whole sleeve of those in just a moment. So you sit these ten cookies across, but what about? The chance that you get here and you notice that some of those cookies have the word Oreo on them and some of them have the word Hydrox on them and some of them have Clorox on them and some of them have Eroe on them. What if when you look at them you can see there are some that are official and there are some that are not. The stamp of approval for the church, as we've looked at it through history, the idea of what it means to be the church, as we've seen it throughout the Bible, the idea of what it means to be a Christian is that you are connected to one another. So I've got some of you, and I love you, and you know that I love you, and if you don't know that I love you, I'll tell you, I, I, I care about you. If you're not gathering together with other believers... You are missing a major part of what it means to follow Jesus. 
Not just here, but when it gets smaller, because this is all platform stuff. They give me a microphone. Jared gets instruments. And this is great. And we can make this happen. You can hide in this room. But every now and then I need you to shift from a circle to a row, from a row to a circle. Where you're talking about what you deal with. Why? Because Jesus talked about it. Jesus says this, They will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. That's a gathering concept. The great commandment is the love of God. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a gathering idea. We believe that the Bible teaches that it's important for those of us who are Christians to spend time with those who are not. That's why we don't overschedule you. So if you're here and you're looking for a church and you want 27 different things that are happening 27 different ways and you want me to order you some handbells, that will probably never happen here. I mean, Jared can probably work it in. He's super musically talented. So if there are handbells up there, just feel it. Work, work through it. But we do schedule things that we believe are important. We have life groups that meet on Sunday nights. You should find one of those. There are good ones. We have some that meet on Tuesday, some that meet on Thursday. Because we believe the Bible teaches that it matters that you get together. Because Jesus does not just talk about a place to go. He talks about a people who gather. Those words, consider... Let me read that again. Consider how to stir up one another. The word consider means to take your mind off of yourself. It is hard to do that when you're sitting by yourself. Stir up means to poke with something sharp. Take your mind off of yourself and poke with something sharp. Welcome to life groups. But when you poke something with something sharp, someone with something sharp, they will react. Family, we push getting together and gathering together and stirring one another up so that we are encouraging one another to react to the truths that we sing and the things that we say. We don't have all the answers. I wish I did. This place will have all the answers. But we have each other, which is better according to the Bible. Love one another. Push one another. Care for one another. Deal with your struggles together. Let someone tell you, you're not okay. You're not okay. The poke there. Stir each other up. It means do to me what I need. Not just what I want. We can get fluffy and we can have conversations about what we want to have conversations about. But our hope is that we as a family of faith are stirring one another up so that we realize what we need and not just what we want. Draw near. Draw near. We have a confidence because of what Christ has done. So draw near. We don't just have a preview. We've got the real thing. So draw near.
cling to me. Hold fast to me. If you're suffering, cling to me. That's what he says over and over. Cling to one another so that you can show that you're clinging to me. Here's what I want us to do. I invite you just um, in this moment to take just a private second. Just bow your head, whatever that looks like for you. And maybe you're here and you're not even sure where to start drawing near. Well, that looks different for different people. But the band is going to sing in just a moment. And as they sing, this may mean for you the first time in your life where you think, God doesn't just tolerate me. That I'm not just having to sneak into His presence. That I'm not hoping that He just overlooks my stupidity and my sin. If you were in Christ Jesus, in this next few moments of song, boldly approach Him. That may mean you open your Bible to your favorite verse and just read it to yourself. Boldly approach. That may mean for you the first time in your life you lift your hands during a song. Boldly approach. Draw near. Draw near. Draw near. Draw near. Secondly, there are some of us in this room who are suffering whether it be from isolation or life's difficulties. From your own choosing or just what life has dealt you. If that's you, just in a really honest moment with one another, could you raise your hand? I'm suffering and I'm struggling. And I, this is hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to pray with you one-on-one. I would love to connect you to, to other people in our faith family. So that you realize you're not alone in this. I'll be in the back corner of the room if I'm needed. If you need me, I just come back. I'd love to spend time with you. God, we trust you this morning. And we get to draw near... We may not understand it, but we get to do it. So as we sing that we are going to boldly approach your throne, I pray that we don't just do that with our hands in our pockets. Let us come after you. Because we have a confidence that says that we can. We ask all this in your name, Jesus.